Hello, everyone, and welcome to Petite de Queen's Practical Wisdoms at Work podcast. I'm your host, Lynn, and today I'm joined by Amanda. Hello. And our special guest, Caroline Garnet McGraw. Hello, hello. I'm so happy to be here. Caroline is a recovering perfectionist, workaholic, and codependent people pleaser. <laughs> My goodness, that's a mouthful. She is an author, speaker, and coach. Caroline started a blog in 2011 about trading perfectionism for possibility. In September 2014, she gave her first TEDx talk, Perfectionism Doesn't Protect Us. And two years later, Caroline returned to the TEDx stage as an all-star speaker with you don't owe anyone an interaction. Caroline, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm very glad to be here and just honored to be having this conversation with you. Well, we are thrilled uh, to have you. So let's get started. And I I know that we've talked about this because you and I have interacted via email and I was a guest on your Clarity uh, program. But I, I love the fact that we talked about the value in mistakes and then using that as a metaphor. And I personally use the example of a quilter's humility square so that you always have an error in any kind of beautiful quote you have, uh, quilt that you make. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that you talk about Native American artisans who weave small purposeful mistakes into their blankets. So when we look at this, why does this metaphor have profound meaning for you? That's a wonderful question. So I first heard this story this story of how Native American artisans weave purposeful mistakes into their, into their work. I heard it at a critical time in my life. I was, as I was living and working as a caregiver for adults with special needs, and I was trying to decide whether or not to be in a relationship with the man who is now my husband. So obviously in hindsight, it, it worked out very well, but <laughs> at, at the time I was very, very conflicted about that decision because he was a coworker of mine. I was very concerned that if I made the quote unquote wrong decision that it could go very badly. And I just felt paralyzed. I, part of me said, you know, move forward, trust this feeling that you have that you two are good for each other. And then another part of me said, no, stay safe. Don't, don't open up, don't risk this. This is too scary, you don't wanna go there. And I was very, very torn and conflicted between those two parts of me. And I remember being in my bedroom and I locked the door and I said, I'm not coming out of here until I figure this out. I've got to figure this out. I've got to make a decision. And I prayed for guidance and I just, you know, I really sincerely wanted to do the right thing, but I didn't know what the right thing was. It was not a black and white, either or clear cut kind of decision. And so eventually I got really tired and really hungry and I decided to distract myself by checking my email because that's what you do when you don't know what else to do. And <laughs> I was looking through my email and a coworker and colleague of ours had sent me this message and it was a reflection by theologian Richard Rohr. And it talked about this idea that in some Native American tribes, they weave purposeful mistakes 
into each of their blankets, each of their weavings. And they believe that the mistake is the place where spirit moves in and out of the fabric. And the reflection talked about how in our Western culture and our Western mentality, we believe something is either good or bad, right or wrong. And we get so scared of making the wrong choice. And we don't think about this idea that sometimes the mistake or the, the slip up or whatever you want to call it is actually the point of greatest connection, greatest meaning, greatest profundity, really. And I read that and it was just shivers down my spine. I felt it in my entire body. I thought, this is something I need. I need to know this and I need to hear this. And I thought, what if I were to make a decision and trust my instincts, trust my heart and know that even if this is quote unquote a mistake, it will be a place where I meet with where I meet meaning or spirit or, you know, this will not be a waste either way. And that was how that reflection entered my life and shaped what turned out to be a wonderful decision. We will have been married 10 years in September. So I'm very grateful for, for that, um, yes. that reflections place in my life. Oh yeah, that's beautiful. I, and it is sometimes there is that leap you have to take that you have to take the risk you have to take that leap of faith um and recognize that even if you fall that you're going to be able to pick yourself up and dust yourself off yes mm -hmm. oh wow um and, and i know that that's one thing that master craftspeople will include these intentional slip-ups or mistakes in their best work and you know, but, and I sometimes you have to say, well, why would you do that? And I think we're just talking about, you know, the the metaphysical sense of why you might want to do that. Yes. You know, this higher calling. But how do we apply this idea in everyday life? Or maybe how do you apply it in everyday life? Yes, that's such a great question, because you're absolutely right. That first story is very um, metaphysical, esoteric, whatever word you want to use. But actually there was another moment in when i was in the first grade that really showed me the practical value of mistakes of vulnerabilities because as perfectionists we would so strongly prefer to never mess up to never feel scared never feel vulnerable never have to make those difficult decisions right we would like it to all go really smoothly and just roll out perfectly but it doesn't work that way and this next little tiny story sort of shows the value in that. So when I was in the first grade, I, I was a good student and I always got good marks on my worksheets. But one day my teacher gave me a worksheet back and it had the words, see me on the top. And when I was in first grade, what that meant was if you got to see me on your worksheet, you had to go up to the teacher's desk and talk to her at the designated you know, conference time. And you had to talk to her about your work and everyone in the class could see who was called up to the desk. And I believed that that meant that you were in trouble if you got to see me on your paper. That meant that you had done something <laughs> wrong or yeah. you were a bad student. You know, I had this whole story about what it meant to get to see me. And I got one and I just remember sitting in the chair and just feeling like my chest closed in. And it was, it was essentially, you know, a first grade panic attack. I was just like choking back tears. 
I'm standing in the line and I'm waiting to talk to her and I'm trying so hard not to cry in front of everybody, but it's, it's not really happening. And <laughs> by the time I got to her, she just took one look at me and she was saying, oh, honey, what is wrong? And I was like, I gotta see me on my paper. I'm sorry. <laughs> and this poor woman, she was, she was saying, oh, it's okay, it's okay. I wanted to tell you that you did a good job. It's actually fine. Like there was no actual problem. But <laughs> I, I actually treasure that experience because it was the first moment that I can remember where I had to do something I didn't think I could do. I didn't think I could face the embarrassment, the shame, the, the destruction of this perfect image that I had of myself as a student. I felt all of that kind of crumbling around me when I got called up to that see me line. And that, I think that is the real practical value of the mistake and the slip up. It's that's when you see the image of yourself die. You see, oh, I thought of myself as superhuman. I thought of myself as perfect. And it turns out I'm not, it turns out I'm human and I need help sometimes. And I mess up sometimes. And that's so valuable for us. That's so good for us. And that's what helps us to grow because then we learn how to ask for help. We learn how to rely on each other. We learn how to question our own limiting stories. I mean, that's where all the interesting stuff starts to happen is when we realize that we're not perfect. Yeah, Caroline, that story really speaks to me because I feel like I had a really similar experience when I was in school. Um, oh. I was I was always a perfectionist in school, and I feel like the one thing I was good at was, you know, anything related to my academic life. I always got good grades, and I feel like that was the only thing I was good at. And I remember I had a very similar experience when I was, I was a senior in high school, and mm -hmm. so I was 17 at the time, and I also got a note on a big project I had just turned in. It was it was like a project that I spent a month working on, and it just got to see me written on it, and oh. I was like having like a mini like meltdown like oh my gosh what did I do wrong I worked so hard on this project and I went up to my teacher and she's like the man that this is the best project I've ever seen and it was actually a good <laughs> thing but I, I spent so much time just like like stressing about it and worrying like oh no what if I'm not a good student what if I did a terrible job what if I'm gonna fail and you know I just make all these big dramas in my head before I find out what actually is going on so yes Exactly. It shows us the power of our own thoughts to create all that stress and all that drama. And you're like, oh, wait, I completely made that up. That was yeah. that had no bearing on reality. <laughs> exactly. That's so funny that we have that similar see me experience. I love that. Yeah. It's like, oh, I feel like you're telling my story just in a different, different mm -hmm. age. Um, so I have a question. Um, how do people change the question from what if I screw up to how will I embrace the value and lessons learned from the mistake? And I feel like that's kind of what you were talking about just there. Exactly, exactly. And first I would say this shift has not come naturally to me. So I'm still learning this. I will continue to be learning this. My first impulse is to think that if I screw up, the world is going to end. But there are a couple of techniques and practices that I've put into place that have been really helpful. The first of which, it sounds very basic, but just to actually take time in my day, every day, at least 15 minutes in the morning where I just sit and I do nothing. Some people call that meditation. You can, if you want to, I like to call it doing nothing because it's that time where I get grounded. I get centered in, you know what? I might screw up, 
I, any of the thought scenarios that are going through my head right now might happen, but it helps me to tap into that sense that I will survive to quote Aretha Franklin, no matter what, <laughs> you know, no matter what mistake gets thrown my way. And another thing that's really helped me is this idea from the book, The Art of Possibility by Rosamond and Benjamin Zander. And if I'm remembering correctly, I believe Benjamin is an orchestra conductor. Forgive me if I'm misquoting this, but every time that someone makes a mistake in his orchestra, the person, the person stops and they all say, how fascinating. And I loved that because instead of, instead of blaming, instead of shifting into this mode of, you know, shaming and calling people out for their mistakes to actually look at mistakes as fascinating. And like you said, embrace the value of the lessons learned from them and not apply the judgment right away. Because that's, I think that's the reason I brought up meditation really. It's because for me, that helps me to separate out what happened from my judgments from it, because that's how we embrace the value in the lessons. If we're stuck in the judgment, we're not learning because we're in shame and we're in blame and that's not a receptive learning kind of mindset. Yeah, that really makes sense actually. I like what you just said about oh, instead you. of like being judging, you you embrace it and learn from it. That can be so difficult though for a lot of people. Um, it's hard to mm -hmm. to move forward from from a mistake and say it's not a mistake, it's just something different and something that I can learn from or maybe it actually is maybe the mistake actually ends up leading you to something good or something better. So yes. well, I think it's also yeah. totally okay to say that, you know, I did make a mistake, you know, I, I and why some of us, you know, this idea of putting so much uh, weight on a mistake is if it's really bad because you learn so much from those mistakes and instead you look at it as an opportunity to do a better job the next time. And the real, mm -hmm. the real negative is if you don't, take that opportunity to learn from the mistake. So I, I think that mistakes, there, there's just a number of different ways that you can look at them. I, and I, I've always viewed them as more of an opportunity. And, and to your point, there is always that dread of, oh my gosh, I completely messed this up. And how do I recover from that? But at the same time, you know, using it as a platform to spring forward. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. It's also really interesting how I've noticed in in my personal relationships and my work relationships, often the point at which one of you makes a mistake, as you said, Lynn, it's it's the opportunity point of you have an opportunity to go deeper and get to know that person better and strengthen your relationship, or you have an opportunity to hide, to run away, to just sort of surrender to the shame. Um, one example I often will use when I'm talking with uh, business coaching clients is this idea of we're very scared to make a mistake in, you know, for example, an email to our list or in a webinar or something like that. Um, the first interview I ever did, I was so excited and I was so nervous that I positioned the microphone wrong in front of my light. And there was this huge shadow of the microphone right in front of my face for the whole interview. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I didn't notice at the time because I was so focused on, you know, I want to give a good interview, but I saw the recording and I was, I was so embarrassed. I was like, 
oh my gosh how did i not see half my face is in shadow for this entire thing um but i used it as a point of connection for my community and i said hey guys check this out i was so excited about this interview and i was so nervous that i didn't even see this huge shadow on my face ever done something like that you know and that actually that connects people to you when you have those vulnerable moments of humanity and they can they can see you as a person and not just this, you know, this iconic, quote unquote, perfect presenter. They, they can relate to you in a new way. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's a great way to laugh it off and, you know, it makes you more relatable to your audience. Exactly. Exactly. It's much more interesting to yeah. connect with a human. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Say. You're a real person. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I will tell people on webinars that I, I hosted one last week and I will say, I'm so excited to be here. I'm really nervous about the tech piece. Can you guys tell me if you can't see the slides? You know, I'll, I'll let them in on, you know, I'm still getting used to sharing my screen. I'm still getting used to making sure this looks right. And they cheer me on in the chat box. They're like, you've got this. I see it. I hear it, you know? And I use that as a bonding experience rather than trying to hide that from them. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, so Caroline, will you share how your younger brother Willie creates purposeful mistakes as a way to invite joy into his life? Yes, yes, absolutely. So my younger brother Willie, he is smart, he is funny, I have learned a lot from him, and he's also on the autism spectrum. So growing up, I always knew that he was different from a lot of the other kids in our neighborhood. I didn't know anyone else when I was young who had a sibling with autism. It wasn't until I was maybe 10 or 11 that I met another family with a young man with autism. And in a way that that was isolating because I always knew that our experience was different, but in a way it was also really helpful in that I was able to connect with Willie and learn from him and not think, not make as many assumptions that I might have otherwise made. It was, you know, this this is my brother. This is this is one person. This is a unique person. And one of the ways that the ways that he is unique is that he loves humor that relies on purposeful mistakes. So as an example, he will take cliches like I've been dreaming of a wish come true and he'll change them on purpose. Like I've been dreaming of a wish come purple. And then he'll start laughing hysterically. <laughs> he thinks that's really funny. And that's actually the, the name of my blog is A Wish Come Clear. And when I started the website, I was working as a caregiver for adults with special needs. And I named it after one of Willie's expressions because the idea was I want to celebrate and honor all the gifts and contributions of people with special needs. So it seemed very fitting that I named it for something that he created. And then the blog grew and changed and evolved over the years, and it became about recovering from perfectionism. And I did not plan this, honestly, but it was it was a wonderful moment when I realized, oh my gosh, the name of my blog is a purposeful mistake. A yeah. wish come true is the cliche, and a wish come clear is Willie's take on it. So I just that's another one of those great examples of you can look back in hindsight and see the layers of meaning that you couldn't have imagined at the very beginning. 
Yeah, that's amazing. I, I, yeah. I really like that story. And I think it's really great because it re- really highlights all the ways, like you said, like how a mistake can be a good thing. It can in, it can open your mind to different ways in interpreting things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, yeah, I, it, absolutely. That That's just wonderful. And Caroline, you say you're a recovering perfectionist. Um, what what are your top tips that you would get, share with our audience on how to recover from perfectionism? Yes, that's a great question. So a couple things that I would share. First, I love the idea that change is a spiral and not a straight line. And what I mean by that is we tend to think of progress as I start at point A and I end at point B. And it's this linear, very smooth trajectory from one to the other. But it was very helpful for me to learn about this idea of the way change actually tends to work in our very human lives is more like a spiral or like a spring that kind of rises upward. And if you picture a spiral, you go around in circles as you ascend. So what happens is you you keep encountering the same issue. So for me, I keep encountering perfectionism. It's not that I no longer face it or I no longer struggle with it. But every time I do, I'm approaching it at a different height, at a different place on that change spiral. So that's been, I, that's been a relief for me because I think one of the temptations in talking about recovering from perfectionism is just thinking like, all right, I'm gonna work really hard and I'm gonna get this kicked and I'm never gonna struggle with it again. you know. And that's what success looks like. But it's been a comfort to me to think, okay, success doesn't look like I never struggle with this again, but it looks like I keep learning, I keep growing. And every time I approach it, it's from a different point on the spiral. So the second thing I would share is really understanding what I consider the two best definitions of perfectionism. So my two favorite ones are one from Liz Gilbert in Big Magic. She talks about perfectionism is fear in a fancy fur coat. It's just dressed up fear. (laughs) And I love that because it helps me to have compassion on myself and others when we're in that mode. It may look very complicated and very fancy, but at the core of it, at the root, we're just afraid. And so if you can picture, picture the younger version of yourself, picture that small child who's in the steamy line and she's so scared to make a mistake and just being able to offer compassion to her and say, oh honey, you're gonna be okay. Even if you make a mistake, you're still gonna be okay. And know that when you're in fear, what you need is not more judgment, but love and reassurance. That's what's needed. And then the second definition is from Anne Lamott in Bird by Bird. And she talks about perfectionism as the belief that if you hit every stepping stone just right, then you won't have to die. And that's kind of a more dramatic one. But I also love that because it is this idea that if I just get everything right, then I can be in control and I can stop bad things from happening. I can you know, be the commander of every aspect of my fate and other people's fate and all of this. And once again, bringing compassion to that and humility to that and just being like, oh honey, of course you wanna control everything. Of course you feel safer that way. But when you're in control mode, once again, what you need is not more judgment or more shame, but a sense of safety 
And so being able to create a space of safety within yourself, that's really the primary thing that I work to do in my writing, in my speaking, in my coaching, particularly when I work with clients, it's about how can we create a feeling of safety within yourself so that you, when you start to hit that, that obsessive perfectionism, you can go back to that place and go, oh, wait a minute. Even if I mess up, even if I make a mistake, will I still be okay? Can I still trust myself? Can I still be on my own side, even if I make a mistake? Yeah, I, I, I <laughs> so when you said that, I was thinking of a lot of different things. And the first thing is that uh, I've always been a little bit of a control freak, but I've also recognized that it's delusional to think you're in control <laughs> of everything. And I have to admit that um, one thing that, you know, just, you know, was like a two by four across the head with that reality was when my husband was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And, mm. you know, you can't control everything. And so one of the things that I really, through that journey embraced was the idea that the unknown is where everything you don't have exists. And yes. there was a path forward to get through that, that rough road. And, um, so I think that when we look at that and you're trying to make everything perfect, you do, you have to embrace that idea that there is a path forward and you can make it to the other side. Uh, and even like your spiral, you know, you're going to be dealing with that, but you're going to, you're going to be able to, to continue to rise above mm -hmm. if you keep working at it and you stay on the journey. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Not that we want to end on a bummer note. <laughs> Not after this incredible conversation. Caroline, thank you for your tremendous insight and sound advice. This has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you. Thank you. It is a treat for me to get to talk about this. And it's amazing how the time flies when we get to, <laughs> we get to dive deep like this. It's so cool. If you want more information on Caroline and overcoming perfectionism, please check her website at awishcomeclear.com. And the link is going to be included in our show notes, so it will be easy for you to find. And finally, I'd like to thank everyone who joined us today. Um, please chime off in the comments section. We'd love to hear your thoughts on perfectionism. And if you have a question or would like to suggest topics for discussion, please email us at jointheconversation at petitequeen.com and you can sign up for our weekly wisdoms newsletter so you're going to find out about all the upcoming and the current podcasts and information from Petite to Queen. Thanks for listening. <laughs>